On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Chloe, and Chloe was raised by a narcissistic mother who saw her as an extension of herself. It's a story of rage, being good enough, interfering in relationships, fear, obligation, and guilt. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and today with me, we have Chloe. How are you? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Doing okay. Well, everyone, today you're going to hear Chloe's story, and if there was ever a family story that really hammered home the fog, which is fear, obligation, and guilt, Chloe's story would be the one. And it took a while until Chloe figured out what was happening, but now Chloe's here, and she's going to help a lot of people, so thank you, Chloe, so much for being here. And now, without further ado, Chloe, the floor is now yours. Thanks. Thanks. So, um, first thing I'd like to say is thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, my mom has kind of all of those classic narcissistic traits and I really, like you said, the, the relationship progressed and I never saw that as a kid. And, um, and it was something that came to light, um, when I was an adult. And so, for her, you know, her background, our background is we are from a really small town. Uh, the population is maybe like 14, 1500 people. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, group think in that small community, unfortunately. And, um, and my mom is adopted um, and we knew her bio family, um, but her bio mom had to give her up when she was little because she was going to jail um, for a drunk driving accident. And so she gave my mother away to who I call my grandparent. Um, but you know, they had their own issues. Um, and so there's a lot of generational trauma that comes through in my family. Um, things that I never really knew how to even speak about until I got older. And so, um, my mom grew up in a very like tumultuous, situation. She was not legally adopted until she was 16. Um, it came with a lot of back and forth between her biological mother and my grandparents, a lot of, um, a lot of really intense fighting going on around her. And then also she had a lot of like bullying growing up because of who her biological family was and things that had happened in their past. Um, and so she really, she really had a lot of trauma as, as a young child. Um, that did not stop. Um, she went away to the Air Force right after high school. Um, she met a, a guy and got engaged, and he actually was a, a really great person. But she came back to our small town on leave, and um, that is when she got entangled with my biological father. Um, he was very young. She was very young. 
they were 19 and 21 whenever I was born. But from the get-go, he was physically abusive. Uh, he was an alcoholic even at that young of an age. Um, and my mom actually gave birth to me with a black eye. And the nuns in the hospital would not let my biological dad come in and see me because my mom obviously had signs of physical abuse. And, um, and so there's just, even in my early childhood, you know, lots of, of trauma when it came to the things that I saw and, um, and, and was around and how much fighting and, and raised voices there always were. Uh, my earliest memory is actually probably, um, I guess maybe I was around three or so, three or four, and I can remember my biological dad attacking my mom and me trying to get him off of her. I can I can remember that, and and uh, and then my next memory from there is is him hitting my grandmother in the head with an iron skillet, um, and my grandmother's head gushing blood, and us having to rush her to the emergency room so those are kind of my earliest childhood memories um I was lucky enough that the physical abuse was never directed toward me uh I never had to deal with that from my biological dad it was almost like he wasn't even concerned with me he had this obsession with my mom and that obsession turned into possessiveness and into physical rage and violence um, and I was kind of an afterthought, so none of that was directed at me. My mom and my biological dad got divorced when I was four, but I mean that didn't stop the the torture. Basically, um, as time went on, he was still obsessed with her and still stalked her and and pretty much tortured her. And in a small town, it's hard to get away, you know, from from that kind of stuff. Um, and we couldn't really move away. We didn't have the financial means to do that. She needed my grandparents to help. And I'm not sure if all that trauma is is what sparked this personality traits in her that I see now as an adult, but I believe it definitely like played into what I'm seeing now. So it, my dad and I, my biological dad and I, we didn't have a relationship or a connection. Um, it was always something that my mom, she kind of made me feel shame about, as as oddly as it sounds. Like, she knew he was awful, but as I was growing up, I didn't want to have anything to do with him and that side of the family. And I felt, I feel like she felt so much shame around that, that she projected that onto me. And she really wanted me to have a relationship with him, even though he was not anyone that I should have had a relationship with. He was always physically abusive to every partner he ever had. He was an alcoholic. He was on drugs. He was in and out of jail. But that was always a lot of contention in her and I's relationship. And that kind of plays into um, later in life, you know, things that would happen. And as a kid, you kind of always feel like something's off, but you don't know, right? Because it's your family. It's all you've ever known. But I could just, I could tell that my mom wasn't like the other moms. She always um, dressed very sexy. Um, she loved that kind of attention from people. Um, she is a very physically attractive lady. And that was something she was always extremely proud about. Um, and so 
I was always as a kid a, a little bit embarrassed, you know, about the fact that my mom didn't dress like the other moms and she didn't act like the other moms. And I could always tell there was this intense anger inside. And even though that wasn't usually directed toward me, I still felt a lot of anxiety about when her temper would blow up on someone else. Uh, that helped, that happened a lot growing up. There was, there was always um, some sort of situation where these big explosive arguments were happening. And, um, and so I, I always shrunk into myself a little bit. And it's kind of weird. I always said growing up, like, it, it's weird to feel completely smothered by someone, but not seen by them at all. Um, she really thought I was just her, a mini version of herself. Um, I, I got that all the time, you know, like I, I was not supposed to, I knew that I wasn't supposed to have an opinion that contradicted hers. And I knew that I was supposed to do things that made her look good. Um, and I did because I was an only child. Um, I was a very well-behaved child. So I never got in trouble in school. I made straight A's. Um, and so really, I didn't have a reason to experience her rage or her, you know, contempt because I always did what she wanted me to do. She was my mom. She was the authority. And even through high school, I mostly felt that way. If she said no, I did not challenge her. I, I was scared of her for a reason that even when her anger wasn't usually directed at me, like I just knew that side of her was there. And so I was always on my best behavior um, and, and, and really did the things that made her look good. But simultaneously, she was not super invested in me as a person. She was not invested in the things that I liked. She was not invested in the things that I wanted to do. Um, in fact, growing up, I heard weird all the time. Like it was just because things that I did and things that I liked, I was very creative. I was very into art, um, books and literature and, uh, those things she just didn't understand. And so it was always, you're so weird. Oh my gosh, you're so weird. Like, I don't know where you get it from. And, and like I said, this small community, Everyone was kind of alike, and I always felt like an oddball. And she did nothing but encourage the fact that I felt like an oddball. You know, it was always, you don't act anything like any of us. Like, you act so different. And I come from a minority community. We're Native American. And um, one of the things that she always would say, and I think a lot of minorities get this whenever they, they bump that standard of what you know their community is like but oh you're, you're just trying to be white you're trying to be something that you're not like you're so ashamed of who, who you are and um and you're just so weird you're just so different from all of us and that that was a constant theme in my life so I felt very especially as an only child I felt very alone and lonely um and that like no one was ever going to get me I was just weird you know and as I got older I found friends who did get me 
and they understood me in a different way. But even to this day, I don't feel like I can, I can ever just really be myself with people because I feel different. Um, but that was a, a common theme of hers too. She always thought she knew my mind better than I knew my mind. So she would tell me, well, you think this, or you think this is how you're thinking about the situation and that's not right. You should think like I think. Um, I was, it was just super common for her to say that. Like, I know that's not what you think. This is what you think. I'm like, okay, I guess, I guess maybe I, and I've got it twisted, you know, it was a, a ton of gaslighting. Um, so as I got older, she married my stepdad. Um, I was in eighth grade when they got married. He was 11 years younger than her. And simultaneously, he was 11 years older than me. So we were, we were kind of stair steps like that. He was right in the middle of us. Um, but he was young and he was very spoiled by his family. His family was one of the wealthier families um, from the neighboring town. And I think my mom got a lot of pride in that, you know, the name that she was associated with by being married to him and also got a lot of pride from the fact that he was so much younger than her and he was so crazy about her. Now, my stepdad was uh, great to me always, uh, especially as I got older, he didn't really know what to do with me when I was like really young. But like, as I got older, him and I, we actually had a really good relationship. And my mom would actually say a lot that we ganged up on her. So she would do something wildly inappropriate or incredibly irresponsible. And we would tell her that together. Um, and you know, as a, as a narcissist, she was always, she took it very personal as a personal attack. There was a lot of rage that came from that afterwards toward us because we were ganging up on her. Um, and she she never took responsibility for her actions or the things that she did. Um, but because there was such a big age gap, there was a ton of fighting in that relationship too. Uh, my whole life was just lots of arguments and screaming and they never could be on the same page about anything. And and sometimes it did get like physical, like as far as like throwing things at each other or um, funny story is one time I was in a, an opposite room and I looked out the door and I saw a box of fried chicken being hurled across the kitchen at my stepdad's face. So, um, you know, that was the kind of like intense, like ragey, like fights that they always had and and he was a culprit in that too. I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't let it go um, once they got going. So there was a lot of arguing and fights. Um, again, not a lot of it was directed toward me, at, you know, when I was young. The first time I can remember my mom physically, like, attacking me is when I was 16. She had this thing where she always wanted to be served. So she always wanted someone doing something for her. She wanted you to fix her plate of food. She wanted you to fix her coffee. She wanted you to, you know, rub her feet. She wanted you to, you know, really wait on her. And if you said no, there was a lot of like guilt and manipulation that came back at you. 
say, oh my gosh, I would never do my parents that way. I would, if my mom was here, I would absolutely give her, you know, whatever she asked for. I can't believe you would say no to me after all I do for you. So this one time she was sitting on the couch, we were in the den and she wanted me to rub her feet with lotion. Now I have a real aversion to feet. Like I am just, I'm not a foot person. She knew this about me. Like this was not something that was a secret. And so she's asking me to do something that I am super like grossed out by. And she knew it. She didn't care. And she kept pressuring me and I kept saying, no, I'm not going to do that. You, you know, I don't like feet. I'm not going to do that. And she said, well, if you're not going to do that, you can go get that debit card that I pay for and bring it to me. I was a little snippy myself. And so I went and got the debit card and I put it on the table in front of her. And she literally launched herself at me. Like it was a full on physical attack. Um, and, and my, my said that was there. So he luckily, you know, was able to like pull her off. But that was the first time that her rage was directed in my direction. Um, and I thought, whoa, like that's, that's crazy. Well, it's interesting here that you have this moment of standing up for yourself and here you go after being this people pleaser and all of a sudden you have this moment, you stand up for yourself and your mom's response was that, was physical and if you ever had your doubts before about standing up for yourself, now you see your mom's reaction to you when you do it, not just how she's acting toward other people, which then sets you in even more of a fear, obligation, and guilt because right now you've been running yourself this people-pleaser in, in in the fear, obligation, and, and guilt, but you've never felt the fear in that way before. You were hyper vigilant to it, in the mm -hmm. sense of you never wanted to encounter the anger that you knew was there, and now you finally did. And is this a moment for? Is this a, like a real pivotal moment for you, as far it's as your not relationship? Actually. Oh, it isn't. Okay. No, it actually isn't. I mean, even as it, so from there, basically what happened was the fear set in even more. And it was like, I really can't upset her. Like, I can't stand up for myself. I can't say no to her because this is what I'm going to get back. And she's my mom. I can't, you know, that was always drilled into my head. I'm your mom. Like, I'm more special than anybody else. You cannot, you know, have anything against me. There were multiple times after that that I tried to stand up for myself and got the fury back. Um, specifically, one time uh, in New Orleans, I had just graduated from college and we were in New Orleans having a fun family trip. And she was doing her thing where she like teased me a lot. Um, she would she would try to get me riled up and she would tease me constantly. And, and of course, if I got upset, her favorite line was, you're so sensitive. I was just joking. Why do you take everything so personal? Um, so this time uh, we were in the hotel and she 
said she had been provoking me all night. And finally, I turned around and I said something smart, Alec, back to her. And then I got on the elevator and I got to the room. And, and then, like, right a few minutes after I got to the room, she came through the door and physically attacked me again. So there was, there was another physical attack, like, so bad. The next day, I had scratches down my neck. Um, my dad was trying to hold her off of me. But, and, you know, I never fought back because I've been conditioned to, to know that she could do anything she wanted to me. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't able to stand up for myself to her because she was my mom. And so um, the, the hotel security even ended up having to come and knock on the door and, you know, make sure everything was okay. And finally, my stepdad got her out of the hotel and, um, and she never apologized. You know, she always felt completely justified for the things that she did to me, like she could do anything to me. And I just had to take it. Um, and I, and I thought I did, I thought I had to take it. And what ended up happening usually is that she would make it all my fault and I would end up apologizing. I did that a lot. And she would always give me a really hard time because I, I wouldn't want to apologize. I wouldn't feel like I had done anything that warranted what, what was being done to me. And yet I would end up apologizing. She, she would gaslight me so bad and make me feel like it was all my fault and that I was just this horribly disrespectful person. Um, and I never was trying to be that. At this point, the whole high school years, what is your life like in the sense of relationships with friends, uh, teachers, authority, uh, where are, like, I assume that you're such a people pleaser that you're really good in school. That's my assumption. Uh, yeah. and, uh, so are you into tons of, uh, activities, extracurricular things like to get that on your, you know, to get into university or college and, and things like that. Who are you and how were you being shaped during that time as far as your social ability? So in high school, I was absolutely a people pleaser. I never got in trouble ever. I was a straight A student. I graduated number three in my graduating class. Um, and I was into pretty much every extracurricular activity you could even imagine. I was in student council every single every, every single year. I was a homecoming maid. I was a cheerleader. Um, I was in the National Honor Society. Um, I was president of my junior class. I was vice president of student council my senior year. Um, all the teachers loved me. Um, and friend-wise, I had different sects of friends that I could hang out with for different things. Um, one of one of my problems <laughs> that I always have had is that I'm very adaptable. So I can be the person that any group wants me to be, and I can fit in with that. Um, I think that comes just from being such a people pleaser. But I did have a small group of friends that I felt like I could actually be myself with. And, and those people were really important to me. Um, we're all spread out now. But I did have that close group of people that I felt myself with. As far as my relationship with my mom, it was basically, I wanted to believe that we were close because she, she 
said we were close and I really wanted to believe that, but I hid so much of myself from her and who I was because I knew that I couldn't really be an emotionally vulnerable person with her. There were times where I tried and I would either get shot down. The things that I cared about were stupid. You know, I, she didn't even know why I would be upset about things. And then there were other times where I would be upset because someone maybe like hurt my feelings or something. And then she would hijack my feelings. That's the way that I always said it was she would, she would hijack my feelings. Like I would be the one feeling upset. And then if I tried to tell her that, then she would get so upset and angry at the person that I ended up having to calm her down instead of her being the one comforting me. Um, so it was always about her feelings. She always had these big feelings and, and I basically was the one there to just try to smooth the situation over. I was always trying to smooth everything over, give her a different point of view that, that calmed the situation down instead of escalated it. Um, because there was so much anxiety that would rise up in me every time she would get angry that I ended up just having to like, like take it down several notches myself. I learned to really just suppress a lot of my feelings when I was around her. I just, I felt like I learned how to be a gray rock before I even knew what that term was. I knew that I just had to be bland, uh, basically, as to not upset her or to make her emotions big. But on the outside, close, and and we were this this great mother daughter team. And but on the inside, I felt like she didn't know me at all. And did your friends know what was going on, or were they in the dark? So my friends knew that my mom was very strict, and they knew that she was scary if she got mad, but. I don't think that they ever really knew how intense it was. Um, this one time in high school, I did get into a fight with a girl because of a boyfriend situation. And like my mom was furious. I mean, just enraged. Like we ended up going to the police station and pressing charges on this girl. Um, it could have been really bad for me if if my friends had not seen what was going to transpire and been there to, to have my back. But um, but the rage that my mom felt because someone had attacked me was just it was it was crazy. But it was never about me, you know. Like there was never a time where she stopped and looked at me and said, "Oh my gosh, how are you feeling? Like this is so much for you." Like like, how are you doing? I was never about that. You know, it was just always about um, making sure that they knew that they didn't mess with her and didn't mess with me. So, but my friends knew that, you know, they, they didn't, we didn't double cross my mom. We didn't, if she said no, it was no. I mean, they knew she was kind of scary. And when it came to your achievements in high school, because you had a lot of them, was your mom someone who uh, outwardly was saying, hey, my daughter is doing this and this and this, but at home, it didn't really matter much? Was she someone who showed, and also like, 
was she someone who showed up to school for like like teacher parent night? So okay, so no, my mom was never the mom who showed up for like teacher parent night. Um, if I was getting some sort of award, yes, she would be there. But the person even growing up who did, you know, all of my school projects and stuff with me was my grandmother. My grandmother was just always there. She was my person. She understood me a little bit better. Um, my mom would come to some of my like softball games, some of my soccer games, some of my cheerleading. And and outward, I mean, she bragged to everyone. You know, everyone knew everything that I was in, everything that I was doing. But I also like to say she'd like to, to give me like a compliment sandwich. So there was going to be a compliment. And in the middle, there was going to be an insult. And then she'd probably follow it up with a compliment again. And one of the ways that I can give you an example of this is I was number three in my graduating class. I had a 4.2 GPA when I graduated from high school because of the dual enrollment classes and the weighted classes that I did. And she would tell people, yeah, she was number three in her graduating class. I mean, if she had just maybe tried harder, um, she could have been valedictorian, but she didn't try that hard. She just liked to like, just do whatever. But yeah, she was number three. So there was always this little bit of a, of a little jab in every compliment, especially if I was around. Maybe if I wasn't around, she would, you know, give me lots of compliments because it made her look really good. Um, but if I was around, there was always going to be that tiny little jab in there. Um, like I was the first person in my family to ever go away to college. You know, she had an associate's degree. That was the first person to go to a major four-year university in my family. And she takes credit for that. Like a lot of my younger cousins have now gone to that same university. And I, I feel a sense of pride that maybe I inspired them to, you know, look outside of that small community and really do something. But her thing is no one ever did that until I did it. And I, and recently I was like, but you didn't do it. Like I was the one who did that. You didn't do that. She said, well, you wouldn't have done it without me. Well, that's actually not true because she didn't want me to go away to college. She wanted me to stay at home and go to uh, a college right there at home so that she could keep an eye on me, basically, and still have that same level of control she always had in high school. But at home, there was never really an acknowledgement of how, like, it was never, you're a great daughter. Like you're, gosh, you're so good. You're doing all this stuff. I'm so proud of you. It would be like, I don't know where you get it from. I don't know. I never participated in stuff like that in school. And, and your biological dad never participated in stuff like that at school. I don't even know where you get that kind of stuff from. Your whole entire youth up until the end of high school. Yes, you were a people pleaser. But your mom's treatment of you as being a true extension of herself and that mattering most has got you to this point where, you know, the thing where you say that you were number three and you kind of get the jab, you've become a perfectionist and most likely thinking if I can be perfect my mom will see me maybe type of attitude. 
and that perfectionism where, yes, in many ways it's extremely helpful. I assume eventually that will come to hurt you in a lot of ways uh, going forward. Uh, but, th- you know, that's people-pleasing and perfectionism here have really, um, besides probably a myriad of other things I haven't uh, mentioned, but those have uh, are, seem to be probably going to be your biggest issues going forward. I have a really bad problem with perfectionism even now. Um, I don't like to try new things because I know I'm not going to be perfect at it. Like I know I'm not going to be able to do it great. And so it keeps me from really pursuing things that I love because I know I am not going to be perfect at it right off the bat. 100%. In all of my work critique, now as an adult, my boss tells me, like, probably your biggest downfall is that you're a yes person. You will do everything that anybody asks you to do, even to the detriment of, like, yourself. You'll work yourself crazy trying to make sure that you do everything that people have asked you to do. So, absolutely, those are two huge themes in my life, even now as a 34-year-old woman. So, so then eventually... As a 34-year-old woman at, at a woman, at one point, you went to university or college. I don't know what it is in the United States. I think it's both. And yeah. you end up meeting your future husband. So take us from there. Yeah. So basically, I knew I had to get out of my house. I knew that I felt smothered. I needed to be somewhere where I could be myself and feel free of all of that smothering um, enmeshment that that just was plaguing me, honestly. And so I went to college, um, and I met my my now husband my freshman year. Um, we started dating when I was nineteen, and he's always been um, very strongly opinionated. So he's just not the type of person to be pushed over. He's also not the type of person to fawn over people. You know, he doesn't care anything about celebrities or anything like that. And he's not going to just ooh and ah over people, maybe over a deer, but not over people. And so um, that drove my mom insane. He didn't fawn over her. He didn't agree with everything um, she said. She was used to the boys in high school um, talking about how good looking she was all the time and, you know, really kind of making it a big deal to impress her, to impress me. And my now husband was not that person. He just did not have that in his, in his personality. And so she really kind of disliked him from the back. Now, she loved that. She thought he was attractive because she kept a picture of us in our swimsuits in her wallet and would show it off to people. Um, so she, she loved that aspect. But when it came to his personality and, and how mine and his relationship was, she did not like it. I am not a very physically affectionate person, and neither is my husband. And so we don't show a lot of PDA um, and that drove my mom insane. Like she would say, 
because she loves PDA. And she would say, I just want to see him like, you know, kiss you and hold your hand and be all about you. And I said, well, you know, that's not our relationship. You know, we, we are in private. We're very affectionate, but in public, we're not going to be like that in front of you. Like, that's really weird that you even like, are, you know, want to see that. Um, but she wanted him to be really enraptured with her and with me. And that was, that was just something that she just could not get over. And now my husband could always see that something was off there. Um, and for years, it felt like it was me and her against him. Um, she would get upset about something. And because she was my mom, I would have to back her up. I'd take her side. I'd make him apologize. I'd make him, you know, say he was wrong. And that was a huge point of contention in our relationship for years. Um, by the time we got married, you know, they had, they'd already had little spats and things like that. And, you know, she was always like, are you sure you want to marry him? I'm not sure that he's, um, I'm not sure that he's the best person for you, like, um, all this stuff. And so when we got married and he became my person and she was not my person anymore. A lot of things changed in our relationship. Basically, she could not understand that she always loved to use religion on me. That was a big thing for her too. you know, honor thy mother and father. If I've heard that once, I've heard it a million times. But when it came to anything that didn't suit her preferences with religion, like how you, you know, a husband and wife are one um, and, and she was kind of on the outer circle. Oh no, she didn't like that. It would always be, I'm your mother. No one will ever love you. Like I love you. Um, he'll never love you. Like I love you. Like I should always be first because no one will ever love you. Like I love you. Um, and, and she kind of drove that into my head a lot, even growing up. And so I was always really kind of wary of people and having close relationships because I always felt like they would disappoint me and that maybe she was the only person that wouldn't because that that was what she would tell me. And so it kept me even from really being able to give all of myself to him because I felt like he was an outsider almost in this relationship that I had with her. It got worse as I became a mother. Um, that was when really the, the worst started to come out in her and her nitpicking and control. Um, she wanted to tell me how to do everything. And while I always appreciate someone who has wisdom, my mom has the emotional maturity of a, maybe a 13-year-old. And so... It was hard for me to listen to her and to listen to the things that she was telling me to do with my kids. And she'd say, you just need to listen. And I don't care if you don't do it my way, but you just need to listen and say yes and okay. Like she never wanted me to tell her, you know, no, I'm not going to do it that way. You know, I think that, that in my family, we're going to do it this way. She said, that's so disrespectful. Like, I can't believe that you 
wouldn't just do it the way that I'm telling you to do it. Like we always really tried to have a schedule with our kids. We tried to put them down at a certain time for bedtime. And because she's just irresponsible, she couldn't imagine that it was, it was always awful to have her at my house at bedtime with my kids because she would make them feel really upset that she wasn't able to stay in the room with them while they were trying to go to sleep. She would, she would just really intensify all of these like really bad bedtime emotions already. Um, and she really felt like, like my kids were hers. Like there was this really big sense of possessiveness with them where she wanted them to be hers so bad that she just never respected anything that I said, you know, like I was always still a kid in her brain and not an adult person who had opinions. So that started causing little spats over the years, really bad. Um, I would try to set boundaries. Please call before you come over. Like we may be in the middle of nap time. I may be trying to get them down for a nap. Please don't come over late at night because, you know, we have bedtime routines we're trying to do. And then the guilt would kick in. Oh my gosh. I cannot believe that you would say that to me. I'm your mother. Like I should be able to come to your house anytime that I want. Um, I would never say that to my mom. Like if my mom wanted to come to my house, then I would absolutely just let her come anytime she wanted. Like she's always welcome. And say, well, you know, we just, causes a lot of issues for us whenever you're there late at night we're trying to get the kids down and so you know we're trying to have a peaceful evening and and really I just need to you know make sure that it's peaceful for my family and and then you know so much guilt and manipulation I felt like I couldn't tell her no so you get married you have kids your husband becomes your primary person in life, then obviously your kids become your primary person in life. Your mom is now number three on the list. Your husband specifically, what are the types of fights that are occurring because of this? Is this something where he really has no idea of what your mom is, you kind of know what your mom is, but still don't a hundred percent know the research on, on, on what you're dealing with. How does that relationship get affected during this time? Because for him with never experiencing something like this, it must be driving him crazy and really driving a wedge between you two. Mm -hmm. And how is your relate? Like you guys like ever get close to being divorced because of this? So there were several times where they would get into it really bad. So um, I'll give you an example. My mom loved to talk about her exes and how good looking they were and, you know, how awesome they were and things like that. And so we were in our living room having a conversation. And then my husband said something about one of his ex-girlfriends being good looking. Well, explosion happened. You know, 
it was, if my daughter's not good enough for you, then you can just leave. Like, we don't need you. Like, you can just leave. Nobody wants you anyways. And, you know, he was like, no, you can leave. This is my house. And I'm just in the corner in a ball because my anxiety's through the roof. And eventually what happens is my mom's packing. She's leaving to go to a hotel. My husband's like, good riddance. I'm crying. And, you know, he like, let her go. It's fine. Like she started this. And, And I was like, no, you have to apologize. You have to apologize. And I eventually made him apologize to her even though he never really said anything wrong. I mean, sure, I don't care for him talking about his ex-girlfriend being good looking, but not to, you know, to the explosion that, you know, my mom had about it. And and afterwards, he, he was like, it's always you and her against me. Always. Like, it's always you guys against me. I'm always the oddball out. Um, I just don't know if I can take it. Like, I, I can't be in a relationship with you and your mother. Like, I've I don't want to be in a relationship with your mother, you know, and it, it really felt like he was having to have a relationship with both of us. There were, she, she lived six hours away at one point and she kept trying to find a job where we live. And so she came and lived with us for like six months. And that was probably the worst period in his and I's relationship because we never could have alone time together. You know, she was always there in our space. She wasn't helping really with any of the bills or any groceries. She wasn't contributing to the household. If we asked her to watch our kids so we could have a date night, she would turn it around on us and be like, y'all just use me. You just use me all the time. Like, I'm just here for your personal babysitter. No. First off, you're here to spend time with your grandkids. Second off, like, you're not paying anything to live at our house here we're we're just being hospitable we've just asked you for us to have a date night we're not trying to use you um but she loved to say that and that was so my husband and I, I mean we we really had an awful probably six months in our marriage because of it um we never contemplated divorce or I didn't, maybe he did in his brain because it was probably a lot for him to have to to live in a house with somebody that he really had to walk on eggshells with. It was kind of miserable. And she didn't really give us a choice. You know, it would be like, oh, I'm going to be there for like a week or two weeks. And then she ended up staying six months. And how do you kick your mom out? You know, so I'm I'm here with no boundaries, no way to enforce boundaries because of fear of retaliation and fear of abandonment um, because she loved to say, well, I'll just leave and never come back if that's what you want. I'll just leave and never come back. And I'm like, no, like, I don't know how to live my life without my mom. Um, and and it, it was, it was really rough. So I'll fast forward a little bit because that kind of situation just basically happened for the next six years. It was just I could feel it growing in tension, but I didn't know how to handle it at all. And so we moved into a new house and um, and pretty shortly after that, 
we had a really big fight that was the turning point. This was February 2020. Um, We had, my mom was at my house. My little cousin was at my house. My husband's little cousin was here. My husband was at work. Both of my kids were at my house. And we had had a, um, a, like a peewee basketball game earlier in the day. And then from there, we had went to lunch. And at lunch, drinking started happening. Now, the little cousin who was there, he's the closest thing I have to a little brother. We grew up very close. He knows my mom as good as I know her. But they were always a little bit more two peas in a pod than me and her. And so I was not drinking. I had my kids, um, but my mom and my little cousin were drinking pretty heavily. Um, We got back to my house. That drinking continued. And all through the day, I've been trying to keep my cool. I I just tried so hard. Um, There was a lot of teasing going on. There was a lot of talking about how cold I was like I you know at this point after six years of dealing with her with my kids and stuff I had just got to the point where I was just exhausted and I was cold I I knew that I couldn't be myself with her and so it really made me kind of shut down around her and that is what happened this day I was just shutting down I there was just so much and she had talked about herself all day and how good looking she used to be and how good looking she was now and she had talked about my biological dad so much and how you know he was obsessed with her and he loved her so much and um but I was I was cold like he was and um and and so it was just all day she was just on me and on me and on me and I was just quiet and then my husband came home And we were all around the kitchen island. And she said, she said, you're so mean to me. You're so cold to me. One day, your kids are going to do you the same way. And they just cut them out of you. I actually pushed you out. So it was a way that she was trying to like put me down for like having C-sections with my kids and and almost trying to make it out like she was so much better than me because she had had like a natural birth. And my husband just stopped her and he said, hey, you can't speak to her that way. That's, that's unnecessary. That's uncalled for. And the, the blow up was just, it was insane. It was, y'all just have a problem with everything I say. Always, you're always against me. You always have a problem with things that I do and things that I say. I was just joking. That was a joke. And, and if you can't see that, then you're just so sensitive. And so at that time, my cousins ushered my kids out of the room, took them to the back room. My mom had her little meltdown. She left the room and she comes back out and she says, you know, I thought about having an abortion with you. And now I wish I would have. I wish I would have just aborted you. I had an appointment and I should have just gone. And that was the moment that it just like the floodgates opened with me and I'm get out of my house. Don't ever come back. I never want to see you again. And, um, and 
my little cousin who was close to me, he took her, he took her out and she is screaming and she's banging the windows and she's knocking our trash can over. And she's talking about how much she hates my husband and, you know, how she hated ever sending me to Alabama and that I ever met him. And she, she just wishes she would just, you know, could just slit his throat. Like there was just the amount of rage coming from her was, I had, I, it, it was just, first of all, I had all this fear because I knew she was already physically violent, right? Like she could get to that point. But also just, I was so upset for my children having to witness this. Like she lost it so bad in front of them and they're crying and they're upset. And finally, you know, my, my cousin got her away from our house and they went to, um, I think they went to another bar and then eventually went to a hotel. They did not come back to my house that night, but that was the, that was the point where I was like, something is, is very wrong here. There's something bigger at play that I've, I, I've never even been, I've never even opened my eyes to, you know? And later in the week, I, I think I Googled like what happens when someone doesn't, you know, what's the name for someone who doesn't take accountability for their actions? And it, it popped up narcissist. And from there, I started researching and she hit every single characteristic trait. Um, and, and it was, it was my light bulb moment. So when you have that moment, do you have this sense of relief in you? Like what is like your, like the emotion that's kind of going on with you at that point? Like, do you, uh, not just relief, but are you like, um, like now that I know where do I go from here? Or like, or do you think to yourself now that I know maybe, uh, I can change her? So huge, huge sense of relief. I felt like all those years that I felt crazy or that I, I felt so bad for disliking this person that she was, it, it just, it just was so much relief. Like I just felt validation for my feelings. I felt validation for stories that I had in my life that just didn't make sense. It, it all just came together and it gives you such a, like a, just, just, yeah, relief to know I'm not crazy. Like all this makes sense now. And then from there, I also felt now I can figure out how to handle this going forward. So I didn't speak to her for a couple of months and I was really trying to take in as much information as possible. You know, I was reading books and listening to podcasts. I listened to this podcast and really I, from all the information I knew that I could not change her. And it was about changing my reaction to her. And I really started trying to work on myself and my reaction and how to handle it in a way that was healthy for me and healthy for my kids. Um, I started talking to a therapist at that point, which was very helpful. Um, definitely talking to someone 
who understands what's going on, like in a psychology sense, gives such a such validation, you know, to, to what you're feeling and to your experiences. Um, going from there, I, I, I kind of thought, okay, I, I've got a better handle on this. And, and she never apologized for that. She never apologized, only justified. Um, her, her thing was always that my husband and I provoke her into the way that she feels. Um, and the things that she does, she's always provoked into it. You know, she never takes accountability for her actions and the way that she reacts to things. So, um, eventually we got back to an okay level, but from there, I started really noticing things. Um, we would have conversations, full conversations, and she would never once ask me about myself. Never. There was never a, how are you doing? How are things at work? Um, I have a, a chronic um, autoimmune disease. I have Crohn's disease. Never. How are you doing? Like, how are you feeling? You know, how's everything going? How are the kids? You know, how are you coping? I, I just started realizing all this stuff. I realized, I started realizing her lack of empathy for me. So with the kids, I realized it was always, she was trying to one up me, but it, but there was never any concern for my emotional well-being as a mom. It was, it was never, you know, having kids is really hard. Like, how are you doing? Like, how, you know, what's going on? Are you okay? Um, my life and the things I was doing in my life was never about me. She always made it about her. And I had never really noticed that before. You know, I, I had never really noticed that I was supplying information to her in conversations we were having, but she was never actively seeking out information about me or really trying to relate to me. And then anytime I would say something about myself, she would always turn it back around to talk about her and the things that were going on in her life or the things that I was doing, how they were affecting her, but it was never about me. Um, and an example of that is basically after two kids, my husband and I were done. We didn't want any more kids. Um, but she couldn't, she, she just couldn't like accept that. And so as always, why won't you have another kid? Like, why won't you just have another kid for me? Like, just do it for me. I want you to have another kid. Like my reproductive organs are, are not yours to control, you know, like, I'm not going to have another kid just because you want me to have another kid. Like, so it's never, I understand that having two kids is a lot. Like, that's a, that's a, that's a big thing for you. And I realize that you've got activities going on and how can I help you and make your life easier, you know? And, and so that really started clicking in my brain and I, and I was able to kind of go forward and, and know that nothing was ever really going to be the way that I thought it was going to be again. Um, I had some resistance to that and also had a lot of guilt about it as well, because I felt like it was my fault somehow that I just hadn't like done it correctly. Like I hadn't, I had maneuvered, um, or I had navigated this relationship in a way that it had got to this point. You know, I, I felt a lot of shame around it that I couldn't make a relationship with my mom work. 
And so we tried that for a couple of years. And um, this past October, it got bad again. So my mom and my stepdad were uh, middle of trying to figure out if they were going to get divorced. There was this, this big, big, like blow up. So a lot of times the things that would happen in their relationship would be, she would want to do something and he would not want to do it because a lot of times it meant taking her to do the things that she liked to do involved like alcohol, um, going to bars, you know, things of that nature. And you really couldn't trust her to be around people like that because she'd end up blowing up and there would be this big scene and all this drama. And my stepdad already had anxiety himself and he wouldn't want to go and do things because he knew that drama could ensue at any point. And so um, this was kind of like their final show. I mean, they, they had spouts where they were going to get a divorce multiple times, like uh, growing up, uh, times where she couldn't take it. She had a full-on midlife crisis when I was in college, so there was that. But this this time felt a little bit more permanent, and it was my daughter's birthday, and my stepdad decided to go play golf instead of, like, come to my daughter's birthday. And they were already in a really, you know, big fight, felt like they were going to get divorced. Well, he when he went to play golf, it literally snapped her brain into. She was so upset that he would go and do something for himself, even when they were separated. But he wouldn't go and do things with her when they were together. And so she called him. She she threatened to kill him. And it was so intense for him. He left his golf tournament and did not even go back to his own apartment that night. He stayed in a hotel. He literally thought that she was going to physically harm him. And so I had family in town and I couldn't, I couldn't be her confidant in this, in this point in my life, right? Like I already had all these feelings about our relationship and she wanted me to just sit around and talk with her and badmouth my stepdad. And I had already kind of removed myself from that, which she did not like at all. And, um, and so when this happened, you know, I, my husband and I talked about it and we said, you know, well, maybe the kids shouldn't like be around her for a little bit because we just don't know like where her mental space is at. And, and the fight that, you know, her and my stepdad was going to have with my kids in the room. Um, prior to this, my, my kids had been at her house and I was at work and my son got her cell phone and called me multiple times because my parents were arguing so bad and it was making him so uncomfortable. Like I had to leave work and go pick my kids up. And so that had already kind of threw off when I showed up. She didn't even know that my son had called me, even though he'd called me multiple times. Like that's how enthralled in this fight they were. And so, um, so she was, she was already getting very like upset with me because I would not just, you know, be what she wanted me to be. Like I had been so many times, you know, in their past fights, like I, I was a go between, I was the person that he would call and then she would call and they would want me to go back and forth. And I just was not doing that this time. I was setting my boundaries. I was being firm about it. And she texted me and asked if she could pick the kids up from school. 
And I said, no, not today. You know, we've just had a lot going on over the past couple of weeks. And um, I would just like to have a few quiet nights at home. I was just trying to let the situation die down. And that was it. She went off on me. Um, I have been called every piece of shit daughter you could possibly imagine. She has told me how much she hates me. Um, she's told me that she will never love me again. Um, that she, again, that she wishes she had aborted me, never met my, my biological father. Um, I have been getting harassed now since October. Um, and it hasn't stopped. And she was first harassing me with text messages and voicemails. And I blocked her on those. And then it was emails and I blocked those. And then it was Instagram and I blocked that. And recently she's found a way to send me text messages from, from random phone numbers where she's been harassing me. Um, this, this, this Wednesday now, and I got one from her on Monday. Um, so I have been no contact with her since October. I have not responded at all. We have not seen her um, other than the one time she showed up at my house banging on the windows and doors while my kids were trying to sleep. Um, but I've, I've just come to the conclusion that to have any real peace in life, it's going to have to be without her in it. So you're dealing with all of this, you're no contact, but your mom is lurking and you have the fear that she is lurking. Mm-hmm. Uh, is she contacting other people? Is she contacting your husband? And she contacted my husband once he blocked her. And then that was, that was that she hasn't contacted him again. But what she is trying to do is use my stepdad and my granddad, um, to relay messages to me and to make me look like the bad person because I won't let her see my kids. Um, so she calls my granddad who is 80, all upset, threatening to kill herself. And then gets him all upset. And then he calls me, which makes me upset. Um, and, and so it's just this whole like cycle of me not being able to really get rid of her. Um, yeah, so you're caught in this space where, especially with the grandfather there, I mean, it's difficult to cut, uh, for him to understand what's happening and to say to him, hey, don't contact me about this anymore. Like this is my boundary because you don't want to cut, cut your grandfather out of your life. You know, not at all, but you're, she's being able to contact you or through other people who really don't understand the full extent of what's going on. And there's this weird limbo, I guess that you're kind of in because Yes, you're no con- no contact, but you are still not a hundred percent free in in that sense. No. And you're waiting for a shoe to drop. You just don't know where it's going to be coming from. So you're in this. I assume that's just hyper vigilant mode all the time. Always on edge. Always on edge. She always finds a way. It'll be right when I'm starting to feel some sort of peace 
that I will get some sort of information from her um, where she pops back up again to literally rip my piece away. Um, that's, that's the best way that I can put it. There's just no peace at all because even when I start to feel peace, I start to feel guilt that I'm peaceful without my mother in my life. So there's there's so many emotions that come with trying to be no contact with still having to have contact with other parts of my family who really don't understand, right? Because to them, they only know the mom who has always bragged on me and who's always kind of, you know, given me everything financially. I, I never want it for anything financially. So they just don't understand. And I've tried to tell them like the best way I can describe it. I heard it in a, in a book or a podcast is that it's like death by a thousand cuts, you know, like it's just, it was always these little things that she was doing that eventually just felt like I could not take it anymore. Um, but they don't understand. And so I really do come out looking like the bad guy and for a people pleaser, it's awful. I mean, my brain thinks about it constantly that people are seeing me as this really hateful, awful person because of the way she's spending it to everybody. And if I just try to defend myself, I end up saying the same things about her that she's saying about me. And so I just sound crazy too. And it's just this vicious cycle. So I, I end up not even trying to defend myself most of the time. Your husband is really the only person that knows 100% of the truth. And without him, at this moment of time, you would probably go crazy, I would assume. Absolutely. It finally feels like him and I are on the same side. Like we finally feel like a team and a unit and we're, we're really unified in how we feel about it. And he's been a huge emotional support for me. And I, I try really hard not to just bombard my real, I have a really close circle of friends. I'm super thankful for from college, like girls who really do accept and value me for who I am. And it's really important to me. And then my husband does as well. But I try not to bombard them constantly with, with talking about it because no one wants to hear about it all the time. But unfortunately for me, it's stuff on repeat in my brain. And my husband will say, like, you know, you can tell me this kind of stuff. Like, you can talk to me. Like, it, when she has reached out to you and said something incredibly, you know, vile, disgusting, like, you can tell me that kind of stuff. And I'm so used to keeping my emotions like bottled up into myself um, that it's still hard for me to to realize that there are people that I can actually like talk to about, you know, what's going on. Um, but I'm thankful to have him in my corner and for us to actually be on the same page. Around 40 minutes ago, I was going to ask you the question, have you ever relaxed in your life? Like, do you know what that is? Uh, I try, um, I, I try to relax, but no, most of the time, like I'm on edge and my anxiety has gotten worse as I've gotten older, um, with everything that's been going on, I have tried 
mindfulness and meditation and I cannot make my brain stop just going in circles. Um, in order to even do that, um, I recently started taking vitamin D because apparently my vitamin D was extremely low. I'm hoping that maybe helps just with some of, you know, the anxiety that I feel on a daily basis. But no, I never relax. And I work a full-time job, uh, 40 hours a week. I'm a supervisor um, and, again, a yes person. So with your therapist, obviously you went to your therapist. Initially, you're talking about your mom and you're talking about all of the issues there. Do you ever get into your anxiety, your people-pleasing, your perfectionism? How are those things? Obviously, we know your people-pleasing and your um, anxiety are issues here. It becomes overthinking, overanalyzing things. Uh, with your perfectionism, how is that hindering your life right now? Because obviously with your people-pleasing, you still have issues with saying no, and you're still on this road to your own recovery. But, uh, you know, when you take the lens away from your mom and now just kind of stick it on you here, because you've had a lifetime of being a certain way. And these things are really hindering you uh, at this moment, or at least the way that we've heard that they're hindering you. So what is, I guess, your plan of attack when dealing with this? Where are you with these things? And um, what's been the biggest issue for you um, with this? I, I mean, the perfectionism has to have gotten in here somewhere. So I'm just kind of dabbling into ask what's been going on there. So for me personally, the perfectionism and just an extreme fear of failure keeps me from taking any sort of risk in my life. Um, I am a very creative person. I love art and I, I paint, I do uh, photography, but I never will put myself out there ever. I, I multiple times tried to, you know, create things and, and say, I will, I will put myself out there just to share myself, but I cannot, I will eventually, like if I create an Instagram page for my photography, I will eventually delete every single thing off of there, critique it to death. Nothing is ever good enough. Um, if I paint something and it's for someone else, I will eventually get so, um, I will just critique it so much that I eventually won't even give it to them. I'll just say, I'm so sorry. Like it didn't turn out and, and other people will see it and be like that. That's great. Like, that's really not, you did that. And I'll say, yeah, but you know, it, it's not great. It's not perfect. And so really it, it keeps me from ever really pursuing anything that I'm not a hundred percent confident that I can achieve when it comes to education and work, all that has kind of always come easy to me. So and and that was the kind of things that my mom valued. So that was all. Th those are easy things for me to pursue. Um, I have a master's degree, and and I'm a supervisor at work and stuff. But I can never pursue anything creative that feels really fulfilling to me because I don't feel perfect at it, and I don't feel like it's valued. Working forward, 
I'm trying to let that go with my therapist. I mean, we're working through that, really trying to, he's really trying to help me see I don't have to be perfect and no one is perfect and no one expects me to be perfect, you know? And I think that, and that I, even if they do, other people's expectations don't have to define how I live my life. Um, and it's been really hard for me to let go of. I could analyze everything you said there forever in the sense of what is achievement to you? What is fun to you? Is achievement fun? What is fun? Uh, you know, when it comes to artistic expression, photographs, drawing, you know, people have different tastes. What I like, you won't like. What you like, I won't like. But there's no achievement when it comes to something like that everyone's always a beginner at something and you're very hard on yourself very very hard on yourself and i sound like i'm coming off as being critical here but i'm just saying like um you know there's a lot of so many mixed messages going on in your brain of mm -hmm. everything and how you get things done must be very difficult because one thing is saying one thing and another thing is probably saying the exact opposite. And, you know, reprogramming your brain will be the biggest thing you have to do. But just remember, you are good enough who you are. And having fun while doing things is most important. And it is very hard for me to have fun to do anything. I feel like everything that I do has to have some measure of achievement. You have attachments to, to everything. And mm -hmm. I'm saying that with a smile on my face and you're smiling while saying it back <laughs> yeah. to me because you know it and you see it. And to disconnect your brain from it is mm -hmm. so difficult. And for everyone who's listening, who's going through this exact same thing, who are in the thinking uh, patterns, some people are feelers, some people are emotional kind of body people sensing things. Some people are grounded, you know? And then there are the people that are just the thinkers, that are the overthinkers. And to rewire the brain and the reprogram the brain of the overthinker is not an easy thing to do. And you have a road ahead of you to do that. Mm -hmm. And if, sorry, if there's a positive, if there's a positive from this, it is that I am now aware of not only, you know, her personality traits, which are great to be aware of, but it's really made me be more aware of who I am as a person. And now that I'm aware of the things that I do and, and who I am, I can work to be better and, and to really give myself a break because, you know, before I didn't have that awareness. And you use the word work to be better. Um, or just to work to go back to the natural state 
of being before your mom uh, in, uh, wrote a program in you. <laughs> and, you know, that's kind of what you're just kind of want to go back to your natural state where you can relax, where you don't have to think. And you'll get there. You'll get there. Uh, and for people like you, like me, who think way too much, um, going back and, and doing body work and getting the sense of your body and getting in sen- like the side of like your body leading your way so your head is out of the equation becomes a really big part of things and to get your intuition, your gut feelings and to really get grounded in those ways. So I don't know if you do yoga or if you do any somatic exercises, running um, and just getting your body back into touch with the rest of what is going on will play a really big part in you going forward because you're going to get there. You're really going to get there because you're, but you're just at the beginning and for everyone listening, who's a beginner of anything you're doing, especially a perfectionist like you, things are not going to be easy and you have to just lay the foundation of whatever you're doing and baby step things. So you'll see the progress. Count your wins. Don't count your losses. And eventually you see how far you've come from where you began. And you'll start to get that confidence as if you were doing it. But try not to look at it as things having to be perfect. Because when you do that, as soon as one thing happens, you crumble. And we're just trying to build a foundation. And the biggest reminder is to really be easy on yourself. I know it's hard to be easy on yourself, but I really hope that you are easy on yourself and that failure isn't failure. It's a learning experience. So once again, I just want to remind you that you are good enough. You really, really are good enough. And... I also want to remind you how great you were today. A lot of people today have learned so much from you just telling your story. Um, You did a fantastic job today. And I really just want to remind you of that as well. Today, you put some words into people's mouths to explain their situations like they couldn't before. You explained a lot of things within your childhood, which a lot of people have gone through, which they could not have done before, and that's possible now because of you. So you should be proud that you're here today. I know everyone listening knows you're going to get to where you have to go. Uh, no contact isn't easy, but you're, you started the process and you're doing it. Just remember, there's going to be 10 steps forward. You might have 12 steps back, but you just keep on going and you are worth it and you are good enough and you are a wonderful human being, Chloe. So I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being with me here today. And if you have any words of wisdom before we leave today, what would that be for everyone listening?
My words of wisdom is that you never have to be in a relationship with someone where it does not feel good for you. And that doesn't matter if it is your significant other or your mom or your dad or sibling. It does not matter who it is. If they do not treat you with loving kindness and respect and bring something into your life instead of taking things away, you do not have to be in a relationship with that person. Well, Chloe, I want to thank you for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm sorry if it sounded like I was barking there at the end. (laughs) No, you're good. Listen, it's mostly things that I need to hear over and over again because it's not. The brain just keeps thinking the old patterns. So now that we're done, how do you feel? I feel good. I I hope it. I hope it turns out okay. Um, You know, I'll overthink this. (laughs) With <laughs> so just so you know, <laughs> I will absolutely overthink it. So I really, once again, thank you so much for being here. And if you want to be a guest like Chloe on our show, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. On the top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. You click on that button. It takes you to our guest form page. Read the instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or just fill out our guest form and press the submit button. Also at at NarcissistApocalypse.com, there's a button at the top of the page as well that says support group that takes you to our very own safe social network. And on there, we have our own forum boards. We have our own Zoom meetings every Wednesday night and Saturday night and every other Thursday afternoon. We have episodes that never made it to air and we have ad-free episodes as well. And if you just want to support our show, join our support group because it helps support the show and everything that we're doing here. And if you need even more support, please do go to our friends at DomesticShelters.org. So if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone. Because DomesticShelters.org offers you an extensive library and articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you're experiencing. They can connect you with local resources like shelters, and they can find ways for you to heal and move forward. So please do go to DomesticShelters.org to access this free resource today. And once again, a big thank you uh, to Chloe for being a guest and for everyone for listening. And on behalf of myself and Chloe, we hope you have a good night.